building yourselves up on, the, on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. And Father, we pray that you would help us to be those who so value this faith that you've given us, this system of belief, this person of Jesus Christ to put our trust in, that we would so value him that, Lord, we would want to contend and guard and move forward to make sure that people know who the real Jesus is. Father, help us to grow together in these things. I pray, Father, that you would use this morning to grow each of us, to bring us closer to you, to help us to understand and believe that you are who you've said you are and you're worthy to be trusted. Please, Lord, we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's beautiful, isn't it? Look at that. It's interesting that if you go into Tesco, or maybe that's the wrong analogy. If you go into Poundland, there's rarely a, a security guard there. Have you noticed? If there are, it's a guy who really doesn't want to be there. He really doesn't care what's going on. He's not checking anybody's bags. But if you go to a jewelry store, the guy's hench. He's looking mean. If you walk by and don't smile, you think he's going to kill you. I mean, you, you think, okay, don't mess around in that store. And what's the difference? The difference is value. The, the difference is, in a, a jewelry store, there's things of, of high value, things that need to be guarded. In Poundland, not so much. And, and this is the thing, this is the kind of the idea behind what Judas says here when he writes to these these his friends, and these the people that he's probably spoken to before. He says, listen, I want to just talk about this common salvation we have, how great it is to all know Jesus. But I felt compelled to contend, to guard, to teach you how to make sure that this faith, this, this, this truth that we believe is kept from harm. Now, we talked uh, last week uh, about... This, this reality that we need to recognize counterfeit faiths. And we mentioned last week that there's some stuff in here that's difficult to understand because Jude quotes uh, religious literature and, and different things that we don't really have anymore. Uh, things like the book of Enoch or, or other apocryphal books, books that aren't part of Holy Scripture. And so there's things that they would have been familiar with that we're not familiar with. And it gets a bit tricky to understand exactly the point he's trying to make at times. But we get to this last bit, and it becomes really clear what he wants us to do. That, 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 J, that uh, Jude's motivation here is, is that, look, if we're going to contend for the faith, if we're going to guard this thing that's of such great value to all of mankind, we need to actually grow in it. See, it's not so much about just saying, okay, that's bad, look out for that, and that's bad, look out for that. It's about, this is good, so let's grow in it. Who Jesus is makes him worthy to be followed, so let's grow in him. And that's really what we're going to see in this last section this morning.
So what I want to do is talk about three ways that we need to grow together, okay? Three things that we need to grow together. Let's look at verse 20 and 21. Jude writes, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Now, the first of the three things I want to bring up to you is this reality that we're called to be personally responsive to God's love. Now, a lot of what he says in these verses is written in the plural. So he's talking to a group, a group of people. But the truth is that if we think of ourselves too corporately, in the sense that we think, yeah, we should do this, and we never think, wait, wait, I need to do this. If we never personally respond, we don't move forward. So this might be really basic, and you might go, okay, of course we know this, but it's amazing how people forget. The truth is, is that I cannot believe for you. I cannot respond to God for you. I cannot walk with God for you. Each of you has to choose to do that yourself, just like I have to choose to do it myself. We all need to personally be responsive to the love of God. And so Jude, in writing that, says, okay, the first way we can be responsive is to be building on the right foundation. He says very clearly, doesn't he, in verse 20, he says, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Now remember, when he says your holy faith, same thing as he's talked about in the very beginning of the letter when he talked about uh, contending for the faith. He's not talking about building yourself up on the act of believing, but on the object of your faith, on the object of believing. So we use the analogy in the beginning of this series to say right now you're, you're operating in faith. Each of you, you're sitting in a chair and you are believing that the chair will hold up your weight. It's, a, it's an act of faith. It doesn't take great faith, but it's still an act of faith. You're believing that. And so if we were talking about the most holy faith in that context, it would be the chair. Not your sitting, but the chair you're sitting in. Are you following me? And so what he's saying here is, make sure that you're, if you're going to be responding to God, it means growing, building on this reality of who God is and what he's done for us through Jesus. How do I know this? Well, listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3.11. Paul says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which has been laid, which is Christ Jesus. He didn't say, here's the best foundation for your life. It's Jesus. He says, here's the only foundation that leads to eternal life. Now, Paul clarifies this, and when he writes to the, the, the church in Ephesus, he says, we, that's us Jews and Gentiles, we are God's house, those of us that believe, we're God's house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Now, is Paul contradicting himself? No. He's just clarifying. Think of it this way. We, we think of foundations, and we think of pouring a foundation would be, we might sort of lay out some, some wooden forms and then dig a trench and then fill it up with cement or brick or depending on what kind of foundation we were building. In the States, they're almost all solid uh, cement foundations, so they, they form with wood and then they pour the, the concrete, the cement, and it's just one solid foundation. But in this day, in, in the time when this was written, a foundation was actually cut from stone. And the larger and more pristine or more uh, valuable the house, the bigger and the more straight the cornerstone had to be. And so they would lay this foundation, they would cut these stones and lay them down that they would build on top of. And there would be one stone that they would start with that had to be true and square and stable. That would be the chief cornerstone. And so in a very real sense, what Paul's saying here is this, listen, that part of being responsive to God's love is learning and understanding and building your whole, your whole life on the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, 
based upon what his apostles say about him. Now, this is really important because if we just say, yep, we just need to build our lives on Jesus, we have to ask the question, which Jesus? The Jesus that we believe in? The Jesus that the Mormons believe in? Which Jesus? If we say, we just need to trust in the grace of God, what do we mean by the grace of God? What is the grace of God? How do we know that we have the grace of God? Bless you, bless you, bless you. May you have the grace of God. The the reality is, listen, the reality is that, that it's what the apostle said, those who Jesus himself sent out. He gave them the authority to say what he said and to build on what he said. In fact, what they did is they took the Old Testament scriptures, which Jesus said were authoritative, and they began to interpret them and show that Jesus fulfilled those scriptures and that they all point to him and that he's the fulfillment of all that God wants to do. He's the final word of God. Now, this is really important because sometimes we think about responding to the love of God in just an emotional sense. Oh, God loves me and I'm feeling it today, so I'm going to sing to him these praises. Now, it's a good thing to do. We'll talk about that at the end. But, but the point is more than that. This is about, okay, God, I love you. Therefore, listen, I'm going to trust what you say. And to trust what God says means you have to assume that God has actually said something. And we can identify what he said. Why do we identify that? It's identified through the person of Jesus Christ, his work, and the apostles through whom he sent. Are you following me? So to grow, listen, if we're going to personally respond, we have to personally rightly deal with God's word. This is why, listen, you have to, you have to understand the great privilege that you have. You've been educated in the West, which if you, you may not know this, but the whole motivation of, 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 of public education to give education to the masses was about that you would be able to read the scriptures. And so you can read the scriptures. And so guess what you should be doing? Reading the scriptures. Now listen, I, I know you're going to read them kind of go, I don't get some of this stuff. I'm not sure. That's okay. But this is why we also tell you, bring your Bible, open the scriptures so that as we teach you the scriptures, you're learning the scriptures. Why? Because our faith is built upon what these scriptures say. And this is how we respond to God in love. God, we love you. We believe that you love us and that you've spoken to us. So we want to listen carefully to what you say. You guys following me on that? And being committed to each other means we, we study Scripture, we want to know Scripture so we can help each other walk with Jesus through the Scripture. Are you guys following me? Yeah? So that's the first group. Then he talks about this uh, other group in, um, in verse, uh, uh, verse 23, the first part of verse 23. He says, um, oh, I'm going to read it in ESV. Where is it? There it is. Okay. He says, uh, save others by snatching them out of the, fo- uh, out of the fire. I'm going to call these guys the deceived. I think he's talking about the false teachers themselves. He's talking about those who are actually deceived into believing something that undermines the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. And they're propagating that nonsense. Now, now, again, Paul talks about these kinds of people in in Titus chapter 3. He says, as for a person who stirs up division, the word for division there is actually heresy. After warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. And so the idea is not you just kind of ignore the bad guy who's in your midst. The idea is you, you, put, you boot him out. So if somebody comes in here and starts uh, saying stuff that's bogus, we go to them, and we're not, we're not jerks about it, but we are firm, we are clear and decisive, and we say, listen, you're, what you're teaching there is actually wrong. That's not the gospel. It's actually a false gospel. And we love you, but you have to turn away from that man. You've got to denounce that. That idea that Jesus isn't God is a lie. 
Oh, that idea that Jesus didn't actually take on human flesh, that's a lie. Or the idea that we need to be saved by something other than the grace of God, that's a lie. And so you need to really see that. And if they don't take the heat after two or three warnings, they are removed because they're undermining the faith of people. It's pretty heavy. So that, that you, have kind of, you see the kind of ends of the spectrum there, don't you? Kind of what everyone goes through. And those people that have gotten so deep into deception, they're actually deceiving other people. And so you don't treat those people the same, do you? Because they're in different places. Well, he actually brings up a third group of people here. In, in verse 23, notice he says, again, I'm reading from the ESV. He says, others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. I'm going to call these people the polluted. In other words, they're not just having the normal doubts and wrestlings that all of us have and we need to help each other kind of suss out. They're the kind of people that have actually bought into some false doctrine. They believe in the real Jesus, but they've bought into some false doctrine that could ultimately end up undermining the real gospel, the real truth about Jesus. And so with these people, it's even another way that we need to think about. We need to look at these people and think, okay, um, they need wise and cautious correction. Now, that probably also in this context, it could be a reference to those, listen, who are believing the lie that you can believe in Jesus and continue to live in sin and it's no big deal. And, and, and that we don't have to call people to repentance. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 we need to correct those people wisely and cautiously. Why cautiously? Because we ourselves can be tempted. That's the thing, when we're helping people, I'll tell you what, 28 years of ministry, I've done enough counseling to know, it's, it's a, an uncanny thing. No matter what the thing is that that person is dealing with, that I'm trying to counsel them to trust Jesus for, or walk away from, or walk into, whatever it is, you can be, you can be rest assured that I'm going to be tempted with the same thing. Either I know exactly how I've been tempted with it, or it's going to come up again. There's a caution that needs to be there. A humility that we ourselves could fall into the same thing that we're trying to correct this brother or sister about. This is what Paul writes about in Galatians 6.1. He says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Notice, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. So, so notice on the spectrum, right? And, and there's a bunch of stuff in between these things, right? We don't treat every person the same way, but we're committed to every person the same way. Does that make sense? And so, also, one of the things that we can think of, and we could have made this chart to not just be a, a straight line, but maybe a line that goes up this way and a line that goes out this way, and talked about one of the ways we determine this is through relationship. So, so if you're having a conversation with somebody during the break, and they, they mention something that you think, oh, I know, a, or they mention a, someone you know as a false teacher. Oh, you know, I, I heard Benny Hen said, da 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 and you're going, Benny Hen, oh, he's a dodgy guy, oh no. Don't just go, Benny Hen's bad. Stop listening to him. Repent now. John? That's not going to help them. And you, you laugh, but that's actually happened here quite a few times. For whatever reason, maybe because people know we take the Bible seriously, we attract people who like to do that. And we had to have so many conversations saying, you're not actually helping these people. So, but at the same time, at the same time, there's going to be times when you, there, you may see one day some of you may have seen this, some of you may not have. I try to be subtle, but there's, there's been a couple times when I've had to say to somebody, can I talk to you outside? Which is usually scary when I say, can I talk to you outside? And I take them outside and I say, listen, this is what you're saying is completely inappropriate. I say, listen, I'm not judging you, but I am judging what you're saying and it's not gospel. And so if you're going to be here, you can't talk about that kind of stuff. And we really encourage you to believe in the real Jesus. What? Yes, I'm not messing with you. 
You're not coming in those doors unless you're willing to repent. And they usually walk away. Now, so if you see me doing that, no, it's way to the one end of the spectrum. It's not because somebody and I have a different idea about when Jesus is coming back or something. Do you understand what I'm saying? Can you see why I call this point an intentional commitment to God's people? If you don't know each other, how do you know where each other is coming from? I don't think there's probably anybody in this in, in this church right now, who other than even on, maybe even maybe people on the leadership team, but I don't think there's probably anybody who always agrees with every single interpretation of Scripture that I have. Possible. <laughs> I, I mean, it just doesn't always happen that way. But we have to submit to the authority of the Scriptures. We have to make sure that we're keeping Jesus at the forefront. And we have to be willing to learn the Scriptures and help each other know the God of the Scriptures. This is part of being committed to each other. Are you following me? This is how we contend for the faith. We don't just wait till the, the really extreme stuff comes on the spectrum. We help each other grow in what we know. Does that make sense? Okay. Lastly, Jude ends his little epistle with what's called a doxology, which is a beautiful act of worship uh, circling around the, the knowledge of the person of God. And again, it's one of those, those things that you kind of just want to read it and bathe in. I don't know if any of you, maybe some of you guys that are more my age or older, we used to sing this as a song. You know, I'm not going to sing it because I, I can't sing, but we used to sing this as a song. And it's a beautiful song. But there's truth in here that's really important. In fact, this brings us to the third way that we grow together. We grow together through worshipful dependence on God's character. Now, I, I use that phrase on purpose, worshipful dependence. Worshipful because obviously Jude is expressing worship here in this doxology. And please don't underestimate how healthy it is for us to express worship. This is why we try to pick songs that are true for every believer all the time. Because there's something healthy about honoring God, declaring his worth for who he is and what he's done. Singing that out. It helps our hearts connect deeply to the truth of who God is and what he's done. Worshipful dependence. But also it's dependence. Because, you know, Jude starts off this section by saying, keep yourself in the love of God. But then in verse 24, he says, now into, into him who is able to keep you. I love that. I love the fact that he doesn't shy away from, you have a responsibility. God wants you to respond personally to his love. Absolutely. Absolutely. But don't forget, it's God's love that's keeping you, not you keeping it. It's God who keeps you. In fact, this is why we worship the Lord. We worship him for his power to keep us. We don't trust in our own power. We trust in his. Now, part of this, interesting, when he says, keep you from stumbling, right? That's how it says in the New King James, to keep you from stumbling. It literally should be, it really could be translated, keep you not stumbling, that's the way this word could be used. In fact, the word for stumbling, there's a, a little A before the Greek word for stumbling. I can't pronounce it, so I won't try. But a little A before that A means not. So it's not stumbling. But the word for stumbling in the Greek is where we get the English word apostasy. Do you guys know what apostasy is? It's walking away from, in, in a Christian context, it's walking away from Jesus. It's what we've talked about a little bit last week, which we see happening more and more. 
people that are supposed to be Christian leaders deciding, I don't believe in this Jesus anymore and it's okay. That's apostasy. The scripture tells us that closer we get to the Lord's turn, the more we're going to see of that. But but what Jude's saying is, now unto him who's able to keep you from apostasy. (laughs) Because I don't know about you, but sometimes some of the doubts and things that come into my head, they feel really powerful. And I wonder, is this true? If I've been duped? If I wasted my life? I I feel that sometimes. I, I, I think that sometimes. Now, God uses... What we talked about before, the personal responsiveness to his love to keep me where I'm supposed to be. But I know it's God who's keeping me. It's God who reminds me of his goodness and his love and his grace. It's God that reminds me that I've studied other religions and there's no one but Jesus who has the words of eternal life. Amen. It's God who's shown me that if I have any hope in humanity, I'm a fool because I know people well enough to know that as well intended as they can be, they always let you down. But the God who became man doesn't. He's trustworthy. God keeps me by reminding, my, reminding me of who he is. And this is what we are dependent upon. We're dependent upon that God is who he is and he doesn't change. That he's always able to keep us. You know, this is important, especially when you're going through hard times. Our family's gone through a particularly difficult time in the last several weeks. And it's funny, every time we go through something difficult, we think, okay, that was really hard. Are we going to make it? And then we get through the, the darkest part of that. And then you think, okay, we're okay. And then something else goes wrong. And then, then you think, okay, we're all right. We're all right. Then something else goes wrong. And you think, oh, Lord, what are you doing? And the thing is, God doesn't always say, this is the specific thing that I'm doing. But here's what God does say. That he's doing something good. In fact, this is what the author of Hebrews says to the readers of the book of Hebrews. He says, as you endure this divine discipline, and he's talking about the hardships of life, remember that God is treating you as his own children who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Do you know why God allows difficult things in our life to keep us from apostasy? You say, wait a second, that's when I want to walk away, when things are the hardest. Exactly. All the hardship does in our life, and I'm not saying God's the cause, but he does allow. God is sovereign in control, so he does allow this stuff. But all that does is it doesn't create in us doubt, it exposes doubt. It doesn't create in us misplaced faith, it exposes misplaced faith. Do you realize that? I know it's not flattering to to realize that, but it's the truth. And so when God exposes that, he doesn't just leave us there like, oh, look at that, sucker. You ain't doing so good, are you? That's not his attitude. He's a father who sees his child say, I do it myself. And they say, okay. They stumble and fall, and they're just right there to pick them up. Clean off their knees and say, now, hold my hand as we walk. That's what he's like. So the trial itself is about God proving to us. The hardship itself is about God proving to us that we are his children. That he loves us. He's committed to us. See, we we sometimes think, God, why don't you keep me? And what we mean is, why don't you keep me from pain? And God says, that's not my priority. My priority is not to keep you from pain. It's to keep you from apostasy. 
It's to keep you from where your heart, your normal carnal heart wants to go away from me. Because God knows the best thing he can give us is himself. So we, 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 we praise him for that. Lord, that's why we can say, God, this is why James can tell us, rejoice in, even in your trials. Because we can say, God, you're good. Even though this thing is not good, this pain is not what I want. Thank you that this pain is temporary and it's working in eternal good in my life and other people's lives. And you give me the promise to know that. I can believe that. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And, and there's more. Look at verse 24. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now, if you know your Bibles at all, you know what, what happens every time God sort of manifests himself to a person. What happens? Boom. They fall on their face like, like as a dead man. In other words, the, the, in the presence of God, there's not like, oh, you're wonderful. That's not what they experience. They, boom, they fall. You know why? Because sinful man is undone in front of a sinless God. So how could we ever be before this glorious God and be considered faultless? How could we ever have exceeding joy? But this is what Jude is saying. He's saying, don't you understand? This is why God's so worthy to worship. Because he's going to get you to a place where you know you stand before him as faultless. Now, if you put your faith in Jesus, you're already considered faultless by God. Do you realize that? You've been given the gift of the righteousness of Christ. So you can approach God as faultless. Not because you are practically faultless, but because Jesus is perfectly faultless. You following me? And we think, yeah, but I'm so far from that practically. Well, this is what he's working in your life. Even through allowing these crazy false teachers and counterfeit faiths that creep around us, he's even using that to prepare us for a time when we can stand before him faultless. And when we stand before him faultless, you know what we experience? We experience what Jesus has always experienced with the Father, exceeding joy. This is why in Hebrews chapter 12, those verses we just read, it starts off that chapter by saying, you know, keep your eyes on Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. To use the words of John Piper, God is plotting for your joy. But life's so hard. Yes, it is. Crazy hard. Jesus told us it would be crazy hard. But he said, be of good cheer. I overcame the world. I am plotting for your joy. See, the problem is not that God doesn't want joy for us. The problem is, is that we are determined to find joy in other things besides God. And guess what we know from experience? Those things don't really satisfy or bring lasting joy. And all the old people said? Amen. So, come on, I'm old. I would have said amen. Come on. Come on. We know this is what life teaches us, isn't it? See, what he's doing, listen, what he's doing when he says that unto him who's able to keep us and to present us, his ability and his plan and his motivation is to change us so that we can enjoy him forever. There's a lot of commands. In the New Testament, there's a lot of commands. And we think, gosh, it's hard. It's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to love people and consider them more important than myself. It's hard to live out the Christian faith. God, why is it so hard? Why do you have all these commands? Well, know this. It's not for him. 
God doesn't benefit from our obedience, but we are changed through it. We're prepared for an exceeding joy. This is why God, he doesn't say, obey me and maybe I'll give you heaven at the end. If you do good enough. He says, no, look, here's what I have for you. I have an eternity with me. So now so you can enjoy that eternity. I'm going to do this work that I promise to finish. Which brings us to the last part of this doxology that's beautiful. In verse 25, he says, to God our Savior. And there's no other Savior besides God. Know that. You're never going to be your own Savior. It doesn't happen. Who alone is wise. You see, the thing that you're going through that's so difficult, don't you see that God in his wisdom has allowed that? Why? Well, he says, you know what? Because this is how God is. He says, to him be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Now, glory is, remember, we talked about this lots of times. The word glory means God's, or something's unique value. The glory of something is a unique value. When it says to be glory to God, it's saying that basically there's no one as unique as him. There's none like him. So even you, as a unique person, you might have different sort of a different retina and fingerprints, but you're still a person. There's lots of people like you. In fact, there's probably a doppelganger who looks just like you somewhere in the world. But there's none like God. All glory to Him. Majesty. There's nothing greater than God. Again, God can't give you anything greater than Himself. Okay, God, you can do anything, so give me this. How about God, you're greater than anything, so give me you. That's where he wants to bring us. Dominion and power. Dominion is the scope of God's authority. Power is the ability to carry it out. All of it belongs to God. And how long? Both now and forever. Understand, listen, what Judah's writing here is not a description of what God has attained. Okay, God became a man, then he earned all this stuff, now he can rule our lives. No, God already was in charge. He's always been. He always will be. He's God. But what he's done through Jesus is a way for us to then appreciate that rule and be saved by that rule and be redeemed by that rule. What he's talking about here, Judah is saying God's worthy to be worshipped here. We should have a worshipful dependence on God's character because God is committed to save us. He's God our Savior. And he has all authority and power and right to do it. He's going to do it. But what about those counterfeit faiths? What, what about the devil? What about our country? What about Brexit? God's alone is wise. And he's saving us. I'll close with this last verse. Philippians chapter 2. Paul exhorts the reader to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's a word for, that, that's a phrase that simply means to be humble. You know, if you've ever been, met one of your heroes, you've been so nervous that you're trembling. I don't know if you've ever had that before. Famous athlete or something, you're like, oh my gosh, this is so-and-so. That's the idea. And this is why we do that. For it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. See, God's calling us to contend for the faith by simply growing in the faith together. 
See, the way we're a healthy church is not because we're going to keep bad stuff from happening to us or even bad people from coming in. It's that we're committed to each other to grow in the faith and help each other grow in the faith. And therefore, we deal with whatever gets in the way of that. Not complicated, is it? It's not easy, though, is it? (laughs) Praise God. He's the one who's working in us. Both to will. That means God's going to give us the desire for this. And to do. That means God's going to give us the power to do this. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so much more desperate for you than we even recognize. Father, I just uh, want to confess afresh, Lord, um, how I fall short, Lord, how, how easy it is for me not to do what I know you have for me. It's so easy for us, Lord, not to obey. Forgive us, Lord. We confess those good things that we neglect and those bad things that we do. We confess those things as sin. We confess those things as things worthy, making us worthy of your judgment. But we also confess that those are the things that Christ died for. We pray you'd cleanse us. And Father, we we pray you'd help us to believe what you say, to not call you a liar, to believe that you you did so love us, you sent your only son, and that we'd personally respond to you, that we'd take you at your word, that we'd pray to you. Lord, help us. And Father, we pray that you would help us to grow as a family that is so committed to one another that we are willing to patiently wrestle with each other through difficult things and even call people out on things that are dangerous. Show us how to do that, Lord. Help us not to be flippant or prideful in that. Help us to take the beams from our own eyes so that we can take the speck out of our brothers. And Father, we we just want to worship you and say, Now unto you who's able to keep us from stumbling and to present us before your presence with exceeding joy. Father, to you be honor and glory and power and dominion both now and forever. And all God's people say, Amen.